It's not rocket science, any of this. It's actually quite simple to live in a way that's a lot more authentic and fulfilling and useful. It's just a question of seeing it, I think, of seeing the fallacy. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's Leisha McGrath, chartered work and organizational psychologist, transformational coach and shaman. She is passionate about supporting her clients to solve their issues from the inside out, which is actually the title of her upcoming book. And in this episode of Your Truth Shared, we talk about her journey through chronic ill health, recovering from heavy metal poisoning in utero, and the idea of science catching up with wisdom. We talk about stress in today's world and how we might look at that differently. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. And today I want to introduce you to the lovely Leisha McGrath. And the reason I want to talk to Leisha is she is a work and organizational psychologist, an accredited transformational coach, but she's also a shaman. And she's not hiding that fact, <laughs> which is really love that that these two worlds can sit together comfortably and productively. And there's other stories here as well, and we're going to dive into those in a second. But first, I'd like to say hello, Alicia, you're really welcome. I'm so looking forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Thank you so much for having me on. I love your podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, we started when we had our chat a few weeks ago now, actually. So mm-hmm. that's kind of interesting. <laughs> The story that you have, which is you have a story of chronic ill health from a very young age that and this was kind of really interesting to me that, well, actually, there's a couple of stories here that are really interesting to me, but I'd never heard of this before, that you were recovering from heavy metal poisoning in utero from dental work your mum had done. I'd never heard of this. Tell us a little bit about this but also how you managed to move through it. That's really important. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that's the point of the story, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so essentially, um, and actually 20 years ago yesterday, um, my mum got diagnosed with a terminal brain tumour. And um, she, you know, she, it, to say it was from left field is an understatement. You know, she didn't smoke or drink. She watched her weight and exercised as in she always ate healthy, you know, so mm. she had this um, incurable brain tumor called a, a, a glioblastoma multiform, and it was grade four by the time we discovered it. So we got 16 wow. months um, oh, of highs and lows. Yeah, yeah. Um, very tough. Um, and I was living in London at the time. I came back and I moved into the family home and we were I was kind of working and looking after her and whatever. And I started collapsing. So this wasn't new. I had collapsed a little bit in 
in school, in Irish college and things like that. But I started collapsing more and it was kind of put down to stress. It wasn't really investigated. Um, mm. And I had a few more episodes of it over the years. And then I had two children. Um, uh, they're 14 months apart and I was still feeding one when I got pregnant on the other. And then the second one had a sleep condition. So I had to feed him for years. So it was a kind of a very intense period. Very lucky mm. to have them and they're amazing. But um, so anyway, one day uh, after this came the really serious collapse where I just couldn't even... I was actually in a car. I, I, I literally felt something like an elastic band snap in my brain. I was driving the car, I should say. Um, and yeah, from there for years and years, I just, it it took a long time to get well. Let's just put it that way. And I was peddled around all the experts over here who couldn't help me, um, at all. And yet I couldn't walk. I couldn't look after my children. I kept having these episodes of complete collapse. Now, I wasn't losing consciousness. So people, as in the doctors, were like, oh, well, it's, uh, you know, it's not as serious. If I was passing out, it would have been more serious. But what happened when you were driving the car? I remember it. Like, I remember exactly where I was. I was driving a big black Jeep. It was a wet Monday. um, Mm. And thankfully, I wasn't far from home. But I I managed to get home. I don't know how. Um, I could barely get out of the car. Um, I lay on the stairs in my house for, I would say, hours. I mean, it was just, it was the beginning of a long, long journey. You must have been scared. Oh, I was absolutely terrified. I mean, because you think that when you go to the doctor or the hospital or whatever, that the people in the white coats can help you. Um, But in my case, they couldn't. And it Mm. took... Um, I often say there's no force stronger on the planet than a mother concerned for the health of their child. And it took me meeting one such mother um, who knew about this clinic in Switzerland. And I went um, in a wheelchair um, and uh, I remember at, at, at one stage and at various stages, Lyme's disease had been a working diagnosis um, amongst others. And, and my dad... Mm. Um, was with me at the clinic. I went over with my husband initially for some tests for a few days and some rudimentary treatments and then came back and then went over with my dad um, for the first part. And my dad is a scientist and he was kind of saying, you know, and I, he, he thought, who's this guy, you know, uh, taking all my daughter's money basically and is he actually going to do anything? And he was saying, you know, yeah. I want, you know, pre-measures and post-measures and blah, blah, blah. And your man said to him, the doctor said to him, look, her body is wiser than any of the doctors here combined and it knows how to be well. All we need to do is rid it of the stuff that it doesn't need and give it Mm. all the stuff that it does need. And in my case, through a very simple urine test, it was identified that I had heavy metal poisoning. Now, when I say off the page, I mean, it was literally off the page and so many metals um but a huge amount of mercury now i've never had any dental work done i've Mm. had wisdom teeth removed um i've had i'm vaccinated um but the my mum had mercury fillings do you know in the olden days in the olden days that's what my kids always say when they're talking about (laughs) a few (laughs) years ago but you know they wouldn't the, the the fillings may not have been especially safe so that's what happened and what I actually only realized um 
a few months ago, I was in a car crash when I was seven and my jaw was out since then, apparently a TMJ issue. And that interferes with your ability to detoxify and to shed all the toxins. So I did a program of a number of years of detoxification. And I mean, I'm much better now. I still have to manage it. And then there's still other stuff in there that I'll I'll probably have to start another regime for another year or two. But to say I'm functioning now, like I'm absolutely fine. You know, I'm I'm Mm. brilliant. You know, I'm I'm rarely napping and I'm, you know, able to manage all my clients and my kids and my traveling husband and all the different things that comes with, you know, and and parents. But I love this thing is this thing as well of this um your jaw got moved out of joint but I remember you saying this to me you stopped sweating you never sweat yeah no I never I never that's sweat. what you mean by detoxifying yeah like I never sweat and I didn't really uh exercise either when I was in school which I regret but I did I just didn't it wasn't encouraged particularly at home mm. and I was more into singing and drama and you know yeah. meeting my friends in town or whatever so I didn't I just I, I just didn't get into it I never got into sport uh so I wasn't you know I wasn't um I suppose giving myself an opportunity even to sweat but no I just don't I've started to sweat in the last few weeks, which is really exciting. Um, but when we renovated know, our house, we got a sauna put in because I have oh, to actually get into that. I know I'm very, very lucky. Um, mm. But I get into that. I'm kind of 55 degrees for a good, I don't know how long, good hour. and it take, But it takes me ages to build up to that. I'm getting there quicker now, but it's really important. It's a really important thing to do. It's like temperatures. Temperatures Mm. are really important things to have, I learned from the doctors over there. And, you know, we're taught, give the Calpol, give the Nurofen, take the fever down. And of course, if it's a fever, that's going to, you know, end up in a really serious condition, take it down. But actually, a low-lying fever or, you know, midline fever is okay according to these doctors because it allows you it allows your body to burn off the infection but one of the other things that they found um in switzerland was that i'd all these low-lying infections in my system and you know you can see it in all the in all the blood reports and what they did then was they actually induced a fever in me um on a number of occasions and that was a game changer for me in terms of energy as well yeah but I also love this idea that the stance this doctor took with your dad of your body knows how to heal itself. We keep forgetting that. Yeah, we, t- we disempower ourselves, I think. And and I think also we've normalized uh, crap sleep and, you know, loads of yeah. coffee and jumping into Netflix and wine on a Friday night or a Tuesday night or an every night. Um, and... And we've normalized uh, some poor relationships and stress and all the things and being inside a lot and wearing sunglasses all the time and not being in the sun and all these things that actually are are really important for healthy living. And what I find in my work with people in organizations, you know, I tend to work well, I've worked at all levels in organizations and all kinds of organizations over the last 20 plus years. I've been really fortunate. But what I really found is that you can do all sorts of highfalutin, you know, impressive, scientific, strategic, you know, change programs and this, that and the other. But unless people are connected to themselves, um, 
and are healthy and are living in a way that allows them to be authentic, all of that stuff just falls over. You know, it may take longer for certain people to lose the 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 value of what we've done on a on an organizational level. But but if you start working with people from that holistic health well-being space, all the other stuff is just so much easier. And I mean, you know yourself, if you've had an awful night's sleep, you're worried about something, you haven't exercised, you've had a horrible fatty meal or something the night before that you just rammed down your throat for calories. You know, you can be guaranteed you'll sleep in the next day or you'll miss the lights or, you, you know what I mean? Everything just feels more difficult and your judgment is clouded, your brain fog is there. And all of these things not only inter- interfere with our ability to make decisions and do good stuff at work and in our life, but they also are held on to in, in the body and our body isn't able to do the normal processing that it should do or it's less well able. Things kind of in my head, and this is a non-medical term, but things just kind of get sticky in your body and you're less well able to do the stuff that it's supposed to do. And your body will do everything it can to keep itself upright. So it pulls on, when one system fails, it pulls on another and pulls on another and pulls on another, which is why the medical model looking at lungs on their own or heart on their own or brain on their own doesn't always work because it can be a lot more complex and deep rooted than that. It's like we're sabotaging ourselves like all the time or ignoring our own insights into our, you know, I'm just kind of laughing because um, it seems that I'm having this conversation more and more I've had touched on this conversation as well. And in previous converse, in previous episodes of Your Truth Shared, we had one episode with Brendan O'Hara from Untapped. And he talked about change in organizations that 70% of all change fails. And it wouldn't fail if people knew themselves, like you're saying. And now there seems to be this... Uh, movement of the stars or whatever you want to say that we're actually realizing, oh, don't have to separate work and life, separating work and life, same as you're separating the heart and the lungs and the, if we don't connect everything, then uh, we're hurting ourselves. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you kind of parachuted down from space right now to the earth. Would you choose to run the earth the way the earth is run. Do you know what I mean? We're polluting our uh, our planet and ourselves. Our food doesn't have the nutrition in it. In fact, you know, you need an engineering degree to work out what's in half the stuff. And that's allowed, by the way, by governments. We are normalizing stress. We have economies at the center of um of our governmental policies, you know, less about family, you know, there's more about division than unity very often. And, you know, I'll often say to my clients, if you hear yourself saying the word should run very quickly in the opposite direction, I think, I honestly think we're all, and it's no judgment at all, by the way, because I just think we're socialized and programmed to value this sense of busy. And when I mean busy, I mean over busy. When you're like that, you're just responding to whoever is shouting the loudest at you. You're not actually really thinking or really 
coming at life from an authentic space. I've written the first draft of a book called How to Live from the Inside Out. And it's mm. it's based on um, my own experience, but hugely on my professional experience of key themes that I see time and time again in the community and in organizations. And people are just responding to whoever's shouting the loudest at them. And a lot of people are living life in a very unhappy and not fulfilled way. And I personally believe happiness is our birthright. And I think it doesn't have to all be so serious and we don't have to collapse into bed exhausted, only to wake up again at two o'clock in the morning because he reminds us of all the things you have to do. And, you know. and so many people do this, that it's, as we were saying at the top of the, of the session, it's, it's normalized um, and that's unhealthy. I really think, and a lot of the work that I do is encouraging people to think and solve problems and live from the inside out. Because I think if you're connected to yourself and you're connected to your reality and your truth, and really you're not going to hurt yourself intentionally, but because we're living unintentionally, I think we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting in the organizations and we're hurting, you know, in the planet. And, and it's, it's sad when you see, you know, I was talking to my husband about this this morning, you know, we have all these medicine that's elongating our lifespan. And I know there's so many women who are perimenopausal from a much earlier age, because in evolutionary terms, this is just one example, you know, we should be dead by now. So now all of a sudden we need medicine to, to, to normalize and feel, feel happy again and healthy again. And that's just, you know, you have statins and you have all sorts of other medicines that, that, that kind of elongate life. But it's A, it's elongating life, but not necessarily quality of life in many cases. And B, now I'm seeing stats around people born um, in the last 20 or 30 years are more likely to get cancer before the age of 50. Have you seen that? So Why? Because of the pollution and because of the food and because of the stresses and whatever else and the me- and the medicines, like all the medicines that people are taking and it's into the into the water system and and it's not <laughs> I sound very doomsday and I don't mean to be. I, I what I just think is like we need to I really believe passionately that when you wake up to I don't have to do everything. I get to be happy. I get to have a pause. I get to connect with loved ones. I get to choose that I don't need to buy every single thing that's in the fast fashion bin. You know, I get to I get to make informed choices. It's it, it's actually quite simple to live in a way that's a lot more authentic and fulfilling and useful. Um, but it's just it's it's just a question of seeing it. I think of seeing the fallacy, and once you see it, you can't unsee it. I it's interesting, right? Because I was thinking about you in that car and the first lot of doctors that you went to, and this normalizing of stress. And if you had just left it there and accepted, because you're right, we're accepting the stress. Ah, oh, sure, I'm just stressed. Ah, oh, sure, I'm stressed. And it's for loads of different reasons. I've stressed because I just had it launched. I'm stressed because I have a teenage son. I'm stressed because I've had this. I'm stressed because I've had that. And then you just normalize it and you just accept it. Whereas not accepting it and that whole idea of living intentionally empowers you to choose a different path. And I find this also in my work that with people with their marketing and with their business, it's so loud all the time 
that the hamster wheel just keeps moving. And if people were more conscious about and intentional about their businesses, the roller coaster ride wouldn't be such a roller coaster ride. Yeah. And I think, you know, you drive efficiencies, your satisfaction is higher when all of those things are in place, you know, so your bottom line is increased. So in some ways, as you said earlier on, we can be we can be sabotaging ourselves without even realizing it. Um, and it, But the key message here is it doesn't need to be highly complex to solve. It's, mm. it's actually about simplifying. It's actually about putting stuff down rather than taking things up and doing mm. more because the last thing a busy person wants to be told is they need to, they need to add something else to their list because that's just you know going to make people cry and rightly so I mean it's horrible to be told you more to do when you're already so busy and there's no judgment with any of this by the way and I can't emphasize that enough it's so important that we don't beat ourselves up I think it's just a question of seeing through it and just being honest and having those honest conversations around is this really the life I want to live is this how I want to live and if it is brilliant go for it absolutely go for it but we know from our stats we know from our environment stuff we know from our our, our, our governmental policies we know it's not working like we know like look at the health service like they're just trying to find more beds. Well, what about trying to stop the flow of people getting into the system in the first yeah. place? Wouldn't that make a little bit more sense? You know, let's look at the problems in creative ways because it's not rocket science, any of this. But I think, I, I wonder, do we find it hard to believe that we could, like, is this the problem that we're kind of amazed that, oh, it's possible to... That success is not about money, that success is about living that intentional life, that you are filled with joy, that you love what you do, and it's easy. Do we think that that's a fairy story? I think we believe that that is the case. Yeah, I and I think there's also an element, certainly in Ireland, of keeping up with the Joneses, and you have to, you know, there's definitely some of that, and... Um, you know, I see it a lot in the, in the world I'm in, you know, um, and if you wish to engage in that, that's absolutely fine. But if it's not making you happy, and that's the thing, we need to listen to what we really feel inside of ourselves. And if there's a dissonance between how we're living and how we want to live, that's the opportunity to make change, small step by small step by small step. And I always work small steps with my clients, or mostly, I shouldn't say always, but mostly trying to teach them how to get to know themselves, sometimes for the first time, um, or how to get to know their businesses sometimes for the first time or in a new stage of evolution. And I think when you do that slowly, slowly, people realize it's not a fairy tale at all. Mm. In fact, maybe the way we're living is a little bit, you know, um, hard to believe. Uh, but, but it's really about starting from yourself, not because I said it or you said it or somebody else said it or, or somebody with the blue tick on Instagram said it. It's to do with What's real for you? Are you really happy? Let's notice how I feel today. Let's notice how my energy is when I eat like that. Let's notice how, I, how my energy is when I don't take a pause in the day. Let's notice how my energy is when I take too much work on, when I don't exercise. And it's not to say, by the way, that you're not going to have days where you have to do stuff 
that you don't want to do, you know, and mm. I always give the making dinner example in, in my life, cannot stand it. But obviously, <laughs> you know, people need to get fed and I think it's really important to, to, to do home cooked food. So I suck it up. Sometimes I give out about it, but I usually <laughs> produce something, um, mm. you know, but so it's not to say that there's some sort of utopia and it's all puppy dogs and rainbows. It's not. But if you if you feel like you've got space for yourself within your system, if you feel like you value yourself, if you trust yourself, if there's fun and lightness and it's not like you're just carrying around a big to do list all the time, it just makes the experience of life so much easier and healthier. And we know the cause of most modern illnesses um, I, I was reading in a forgetting now the name of the journal article, but there was some statistic around how many of today's modern illnesses are caused by inflammation. And we know stress and bad food and poor exercise and poor sleep and alcohol and all those kinds of things that we use as coping mechanisms actually increase this. So the cycle just continues and, and, and it seems to just be getting worse in terms of the outputs with the stats around the, the younger cancer instances, etc. So this is interesting. It's getting worse from the stats, what you've been reading. Yet what we're talking about here, we've all heard about this. We are talking about this more, definitely talking about this more. And so then it makes me ask, well, why is it getting worse? And then my second question for you is, as you, a lot, so much of your work is in a corporate space, do, are they giving lip service to this? Are they truly embracing this idea or this approach or how, how is this reflected in your work? Well, I think it's it's getting worse in that the stats are filtering through now and it's getting worse. It maybe seems it's getting worse because we are, as you quite rightly say, having these conversations. So it's getting worse in terms of some of the stats, the mental health, the physical illness, whatever. But it is getting better, as you quite rightly point out, in that we're having the conversations. And if it's not too soon to talk about silver linings, about pandemics, I do think organizations are starting to realize, okay, well-being isn't just a I don't need to do a bit of just window dressing around this. Actually, I need to do something that really and truly speaks to my staff. Now, interestingly, when you start doing some of that well-being work with organizations, some of them will say, now, I don't want to be, you know, given out to if uh, if they have to work late or I don't want, you know, you to run a workshop and tell them that they have to take an hour for lunch every single day and that, it's, you know, they can blame the employer if there is no paid overtime, you know. So so there was there was a bit of resistance and a bit of just understanding how it might look, how, how might the well-being stuff work. But but, you know, employees are voting with their feet in terms of they seem to be joining organizations and leaving organizations who do this well or not. When I um, coach or teach this stuff, it's all to do about with empowering well-being at a, at a personal level. So individual responsibility is a big thing that I encourage. And I, I it's very, very practical, the stuff that I bring my clients through. And that's in the book. It's all to do with, like I say, getting to know yourself. What's your current state? What's the one small change? What are things around your faulty thinking? Or where's your energy going? Or how are your relationships? And teaching people stuff that's relevant to them so that everybody comes away from the workshop with a completely different set of outcomes because they've personalized it and made it individual. Now you have to understand that culture too is set from the top. So the senior team can't just do lip service um, 
you know, to to well-being. They have to also walk the walk. Um, and, uh, you know, you see mixed results, to be honest, in some of the bigger firms. I'm seeing people who are saying, you know, uh, you know, there's someone on my team, for example, who is, you know, doing really well. Their their local soccer team, they're doing really well. So so they get to get out at five o'clock and go to training. Now, they might take their laptop out for half an hour in the evening and catch up on something that they missed. But, you know, but at least there's a there's a, a commitment to supporting that particular team member get to his football and be a part of his team and, you know, and, and, and celebrating that successes. Then in other cases, it definitely is just lip service. You do, you come in to do the workshop and, you know, you hear that there's not really much else has changed or that, you know, the senior management are still sending emails at bananas o'clock and expecting replies. And obviously the division between work and home isn't always, um, as strong maybe if people are working from home so this huge variety I don't think we're there yet by any stretch of the imagination what will make them believe that this is important like we know it's important for our souls but but it's important for their bottom line yeah. what will and maybe it's the increase of the statistics coming out and all of that but what needs to change to make them realize this do you feel? I think it depends on the organization. I think some of the younger, more entrepreneurial ones know it instinctively and manage it, you know, a little bit better. I think as you get into bigger um, machines of organizations that have always done things a certain way, that's going to be harder to change. But I do think it's coming, the change. I do think the data is coming. I do think, you know, we, we've long had data that, that shows that staff who are engaged, um, who are positively motivated, all of those sorts of things, who are aligned with the strategic objectives of the organization will perform better. Their psychological contracts are more intact. Psychological contract is all the kind of unsaids that people have, the, the assumptions that people have, that they maybe are, aren't even consciously aware that they have themselves. But there's a lot of research that shows if these psychological contracts are violated, that people will act out or not work to their full potential or even up to and including sabotage of the organization so we're starting to understand and I mean that research by the way isn't isn't new I mean I remember studying that in the 90s so you know that that isn't new but I do think the longitudinal studies around hybrid working I think the stuff around the four-day week um, that's all going to come in to make to make a big change in how organizations view their workforce. Because really, when you think about it, there hasn't really been many changes to how we're doing our five-day week. Like it's all, you know, since, like it's been decades since there's been big fundamental Mm. changes. And I told you when when we chatted originally that I, I grew up in a household in the in the late 70s late, very late 70s mm. <laughs> and 80s <laughs> and 90s and 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 beyond um uh in which thought leaders in this space would come to stay and I was the youngest child so you know when my brother and sister were off gallivanting wherever they were and J1s and stuff I was at the dinners with these you know with my parents and these um these thought leaders and I've heard all these same arguments over and over again and then I studied it and I've been fortunate enough to work in um, organizations for 20 years. And there hasn't really been a huge amount of difference. Obviously, technology has changed things. But in terms of how, we, how we've approached um, the models and, the, and the, 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 the data, I haven't seen massive evolution in thinking 
until this hybrid working model and these this four day working week data. And I think that's going to be a changer. I think that's going to help really ignite the understanding that your staff are people. They're not just your staff. Mm -hmm. And I often say the line, you know, the person behind the job. Talk to the person behind the job. What's going on there? Because if you just see the person as the job and as the kind of outputter of of the work that you need them to do, which a lot of people have done for years, however it's been dressed up, um, if you continue down that road, I think your bottom line is going to be affected because you've got less productivity and talent won't join or stay in your organization. In some of these places, are we just to be really brutal? Are we just waiting for the old guard to die? I think so in some cases, yeah. Oh, it's really depressing. Well, I don't yeah, think, but... yeah, but 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 I do. I mean, you know, you know, I there's some sectors I would go so far as to say that it, it it's terrifying what, you know, the culture that goes on there and and the lack of consequences and the, you know, just the, the work ethic and all sorts of stuff, you know. It's it's but again, I, I think you have to you have to be the change you want to see. And I think you have mm. to start with what you can do. And I do believe the ripple is coming out further and further and change is afoot. But you're not going to, you know, what's the phrase? You're not going to eat an elephant in, in, in one sitting. So mm. it's eating the elephant one bite at a time. It's making the change where you can. It's 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 grabbing the early adapters, the the low hanging fruit, all of that. Mm. It's really, um, it's really it's really pushing where you can, and in in time it will change. It 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 will change. And another thing that I think is, I don't know actually what I think about this, but you know, having people in the media and social media talking about this kind of stuff. On the one hand, I think it's great that they're bringing attention to the to an all-important topic on the other hand I'm a bit conflicted because I'm not sure that they're qualified you know in in all cases um so I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic to see how that evolves and and how we how we can really know who and what to trust um and where to position our our strategy in terms of an organization um Mm. and our commitment in terms of in terms of personal choice and well-being Tell me, you use this phrase in these trends that you're seeing, faulty thinking. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, if we look at it in an individual level, we'll all have a certain amount of faulty thinking. We all have what's called a saboteur, you know, that voice that goes, told you you shouldn't have done that or don't bother doing that, you'll fail or whatever your version of the saboteur is. So we all have a Mm. version of that. We also all have um, some faulty thinking patterns that are just unconscious they're they're they can be a product of our you know something we swallowed in childhood or misunderstood and mm. and it they're unbelievably powerful in how they um drive our performance so i definitely used to have one around um if it's not really difficult it's not worthwhile you know and that mm. so that drove me massively um it's quite a common one um and then collectively, obviously, we can see faulty thinking patterns around sexism and ageism and racism and all that kind of mm. stuff. So, so faulty thinking patterns 
can exist at the individual level and then societally and in organizations. You know, if you have a few bad eggs in, in a leadership team, it can do untold damage. Um, as anybody who's worked in an organization with with tricky or worse um uh senior or or even, you know, even co-workers will attest to. Um I, I think the fabric of our society is still quite misogynistic. I think there's still a lot to be done. Uh, for women and I think that's going to benefit men as well as women um, so I think there's a lot of of faulty thinking and I think there's a lot of actually non-thinking in the way mm. that we yeah in the way that we are because if you stop and think you know how many of us lived or are living makes absolutely no sense what are we doing running ourselves into the ground to pay a mortgage for a bigger house with fewer people in it and you know like what <laughs> you know to be in the latest fashion and drive a car that's polluting the planet like none of it you know if we think of ourselves and our organizations as being systems it has to make sense in the system. And I love the indigenous talk about making decisions that make sense seven generations out. We don't do that. And that's amazing thinking, you know. Imagine that thinking. I love that thinking. It brings me to this idea of you as a work and organizational psychologist and this idea of shamanism. Mm. Because one of the questions I asked you when you were originally talking was, I was intrigued that you were upfront about it. Many people would not be upfront about walking in these two worlds. And I'm interested in, well, I, I think you're brave. And also, I just think that's so authentic and delighted that you are allowing, the phrase that you used with me was the idea of science catching up with wisdom. Mm. Because clearly you have a science background. Clearly you like the data, like the to prove the, like to see the evidence of things. Tell me about this integration. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And it, it's funny, the the uh, the advice you get, don't put that up on your website. Yeah. What are you doing? Have a different website if you have to, like a different name yeah. or, you know. Um, and it's definitely in no way, shape or form something that I rammed down anyone's throat. But it is part of who I am, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. And it's also part of how I nourish and nurture myself. Um, so, I mean, I have my I have my mola here. Um, <laughs> so, um, I suppose, uh, yeah, when I would have been a little girl up in bed at night, I didn't know it, but I was having, I knew I was having some sort of experiences, but I had no language to put on them. And I didn't know... But I sort of knew not to say anything. So what I, you know, to use language now, I was maybe remote viewing or, or journeying or tracking stuff. My my parents were both psychologists and my dad used to say I had this overdeveloped empathy, which which is true. Um, and I used to freak my mum out because I just would cry all the time. I'd be so massively upset by things that had absolutely nothing to do with me but I would just I would feel it really physically um in my body and I didn't really know how to ground or, or what was going on that was just that was just how I lived and I I feel my way through life rightly or wrongly um but I was in a very cognitive household so I you know there was there was a, a disconnect there let's say um when I was in the clinic in Switzerland you do all these um uh, different healing modalities with doctors, you know, they're MDs. And then I had this, 
um, energy medicine experience. And I didn't know that that's what it was. Um, but I had this experience whereby uh, I passed, <laughs> sounds a bit mad to say, but this was my experience. I passed my grandmother's grief. She had uh, two children die within a few months of each other, a child at birth and then a five-year-old. And I'd always been really obsessed with this five-year-old who died, my uncle Noel, and Noel was my confirmation name. And I had all the pictures of him and everything. And when I came out of this experience, I, you know, and I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a medical clinic, remember, you know, um, I knew I had to put daffodils on, her, his, on their grave. And my daughter came over a few days later and her dad had bought her um, colouring pencils and she sat down and she said, Mum, let's colour, but I'm not going to show you what I'm going to colour you. You colour me a surprise and I'll colour you a surprise. And yeah. she coloured me a page of daffodils. Oh, I love it. And I'm looking at it here. It's up on my wall. And, you know, apart from the fact that I felt completely different after that energetic experience and all of the patients that I spoke to had had absolutely unbelievably powerful experiences. When she did that, I just thought, okay, well, that's external data, you know. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> you know, however I feel about it is one thing, but that's external data. And so I decided, okay, well, I'm going to focus on this physical stuff and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to investigate um, this energy medicine. So I went and I studied uh with a husband and wife team called Schleon Cree. And I had thought I was going to do it this particular year and then something held me back. And then eventually I signed up. And when I signed up, no word of a lie, two of my cousins were on the exact same program. And neither of us knew until just before that we were going to, my one cousin had been going to do it two years before. I had been going to do it the last year. And then my third cousin had just come to it. So it was just, really interesting and, and incredibly powerful to do the work together. So you learn about the energy system. You learn how physics has caught up absolutely on that. You learn how all of these um, civilizations the world over before there was internet and email were doing quite a lot of similar practices, um, living in tune with nature and really, essentially, what you're doing is you're unblocking energy, the energy body where it's stuck, and you're restoring energy to it um, where it's where some energy is missing. And it's really interesting um, to read other books. I was reading The Body Keeps the Score. I don't know if you've read that book. Yeah. yeah. And, and the way that he describes the psychiatry of it, it's so similar. Like, I haven't studied medicine or psychiatry, and I'm, I'm not a clinical psychologist. I have no interest in that side of things. But I, I, the similarities are just, you, you can't ignore it. And I, I really like Dr. Mark Hyman um, and his podcast. And, and there's a lot of stuff there that he has the science. Um, and, you know, he has, he has one particular episode. He is a, a, a shaman and uh, on the one hand, and he works on the scientific and, and how they work together is just so interesting. The, the, again, the external validated data. Um, mm that you have but but I mean that leads me to another question which I'm actually thinking of doing a PhD on which is how do we know anything what constitutes valid knowledge you know I remember a psychiatrist speaking to me at a conference and telling me grief grief takes a year you know and, and who's valid 
whose who's experience is valid? The person who's studied or the person who's lived it? Do you know what I mean? Like, how do we yeah. know? And in today where we have bloggers giving out business advice and, and you know, personal trainers giving out mental health advice and yoga teachers giving out nutrition advice and, and somebody else giving out some other advice that they aren't qualified at. How do, but, but they've walked the walk maybe, you know, how do we know what's, what's right and what's valid? Um, and if we're not connected to ourselves in the first place, which I will always come back to as being the starting point, um, how, how can we make valid choices? How can we live authentically? So for me, I denied that side of myself for so many years. I didn't know it existed, to be perfectly honest. I didn't know how to define it. But when you study something like this and you study it over years and years and, you know, you, you do case studies, like it is very, very um, uh, safe, if, I, if it is a word that comes to mind. I have professional indemnity insurance. I didn't know you could get professional indemnity insurance for being a shaman, but you can. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, and you have people who go, here, listen, now, I wouldn't normally say this, but you know that shamanic stuff you do. Is there yeah. any chance? Because I'm stuck on this issue and I've been stuck on it for ages and maybe it's just, maybe I'm just stuck and you can help me. So I'm upfront about it without ramming it down people's throats. But people that I know that are open to speaking in this way, we will absolutely talk, you know, in this way quite freely. Um, and and I love it. I, I live according to the seasons. You know, we're, we're, we're coming up to Samhain now. I have a half day retreat day coming up for women who want to come in and explore some kind of ancient methods and some modern methods of, of, of restoring themselves. And, and we look at, you know, when winter comes in, in shamanism, that's the start of the new year. Because if you think about it, all life begins in darkness, the seed in the ground, the belly in the, or sorry, the, yeah, the seed in the belly. Um, and it's a time for dreaming in what do you want for what do you want to bring into your life in the next year? It's a time for slowing down, for nurturing the animals, hibernating. And then spring, you're starting to kind of dip your toe out in the world. You know, the first few shoots are coming up, but you're not, you know, you're not going hell for leather yet. You're just, you're, you're kind of stretching maybe into, into the world mm. again and bringing these, these things that you've been nurturing with you. And then summer, yeah, be all out in front and be dancing at festivals and bringing all the things that you wanted to create and birth into the world. And then autumn, where, what do we want to start letting go of? What do we want to uh, shed, like the trees shedding their leaves? And what happens in society today is I think a lot of people want to be all out in front summer kind of energy all the time. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, so many people get sick at Christmas because they're, you know, they're like out partying as if it's the summertime. And actually, uh, you need to nurture, you need the soups, you need to eat in season, you need to sleep in, you need to be cozy. Um, and of course, go out and put on your sequins and have your red wine or whatever you're doing and have a great time. But but not all the time, you know, and it's about, again, tuning into how you feel in that and what you need and, and living from the inside out. So. So, yeah, that's why I I outed myself <laughs> as a shaman. I'm very proud, very, very proud and grateful and honored to to be part of that lineage. Yeah. 
it completely resonates with me for lots of reasons, which I'm sure I shall divulge over the years <laughs> ahead. But but the essence of it all is about this connectedness, this consciousness, this intentional thinking, intentional thought, because so much is fragmented. I talk about this a lot in my own work. You know, marketing doesn't work when it's fragmented. You know, it's not possible to to uh, deliver a cohesive message if it's just a bit here and a bit there. But I love this. What would you like to leave people with today, Nisha? What I would like to leave people with today is to think about how they can simplify their lives and connect with other people. To know that happiness is their birthright and it doesn't need to be complicated. Um, And just to notice, notice where you're happy and do more of that. I love it. That's a great way to leave it. (laughs) Notice where you're happy and do more of that. That's a lovely way to leave it. (laughs) Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. It's been gorgeous talking to you. Thank you for being brave with your questions and letting me bring (laughs) all of myself to to the podcast. And uh, I can't do it any other way. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Leisha, look her up on LinkedIn or check out LeishaMcGrath.com. That's L-E-I-S-H-A-M-C-G-R-A-T-H.com. And if there's someone you know who might benefit from this episode, please do share it with them. Or write a review for me at RateThisPodcast.com slash YourTruthShared. It helps me understand what's resonating with you and also makes other people aware of the podcast. And that would mean the world to me. For now, I'll see you next week with another great guest. And in the meantime, take care.